All right, hey, good morning and welcome to the Foundry. My name is Andrew. If I haven't had the chance to talk with you or meet you, I would love to do so after uh, the service. Um, we are excited to, this morning. We have Waypoint Church partners with us. We have the, uh, uh, the president, is that the official title? The president of Waypoint Church partners with us this morning. He's going to be sharing with us about one of our values. Uh, we have some values here at the Foundry. They're things that we don't talk about all the time, but they are things that we hope you feel. Um, and I know that our leadership team and our, our volunteers on, on Sunday morning, they, make it, uh, they work very hard so that we feel these things, things like a welcoming authenticity, uh, things like uh, anchoring ourselves to truth, Things like a transforming generosity and an um, embrace of, of Christian community. And then uh, things like radical expansion. Um, and that's the one that we, we don't talk about quite a bit. But, but listen, Jesus has called us to go and make disciples of all nations, right? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey these commandments as he has has taught us, and, and a part of that is radical expansion. And so today, you've heard me talk a little bit about it before, but we're going to dig in, uh, peel the onion a little bit more today. But our church, we're excited to be a part of a church plant that's going to happen in the DMV. We're not sure where that's going to be, what that's going to look like, who's going to plant that, but there are some like-minded groups and churches, groups like Waypoint Church Partners, who uh, we support as a church. Um, they've been planting churches and working with churches and helping leadership and, and different, all kinds of different avenues of the church from, from Maryland to Virginia to North Carolina, South Carolina, West Virginia, and the eastern part of Tennessee. So they are all over that 95 corridor helping churches and starting churches in order to reach our communities. Uh, so they're one partner. We're one partner as the Foundry Church and then New Life Christian Church, which uh, some of our staff have been to and, and have learned from their staff and, and have partnered with them in Chantilly. We're coming together to plant a church in the DMV. Now, now Tim is going to answer the why, because everyone, the first question is, is why? Right? There's so many churches in this uh, area. Why do we need another church? Well, you've, you've heard us talk about it quite a bit if you've been here for any length of time or if you've been with us in Pasta with the Pastor, our, our Foundry 101 type class. Um, it takes 30%, they say, to, to make a tipping point, to transform our community for Christ. 30% of a population, and we know that the DMV is full of people, and it's going to take more than just one church. It's going to take all the churches including all the established churches planting and starting new churches. Because, and Tim knows these statistics way better than I do, a new church is the number one way to reach new people for Christ. People who, who don't know who Jesus is, right, the number one way to get them into a relationship with Jesus is through a new church. And so Tim's going to kind of share the why behind that a little bit, but I know that I'm excited and that our leadership is excited for this because in the process, we get to learn as a church 
how to disciple better, how to, how to reach out better, right? We get to learn how to be a part of our community in new ways and, and learn from other churches and a new church and just an opportunity to partner so that we can reach that 30% here in Burke and in all the parts of the DMV. Now, I also want to remind you that this is actually, as our church, our second church plant with Lifeline Christian Mission from day one when we replanted on September 26th, we helped plant a church with Lifeline Christian Mission in Panama City, Panama, right? Now, they, uh, they no longer need our support. They, uh, they have taken off, and they're doing great, and they um, are, are working it, and, um, and so this is our next step. And I'm excited to have Tim Cole with us to share uh, about this uh, need of church planting. Now, Tim is uh, someone, he spoke with the men last night, but Tim is someone that I've, I've uh, watched from afar since I've been in, in Virginia. And uh, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for his heart, for the local church, and his humility in, in reaching out and helping the, the, the smallest struggling churches to the bigger churches, just getting everybody to step up to the table, which is a part of our strategy, to help one another, to serve one another, offer this mission of going and making disciples. Right, so I, I, I'm so grateful for Tim. I'm so grateful for Waypoint and their ministries. Our, our staff takes part in their um, trainings that they have in the different regions. It's so exciting to have him here with us and to share with us this morning. So if you will, give Tim a, a round of applause, and he's going to come on up. Woo, that's quite a setup right there. I need to take Andrew with me every week. Uh, prepare to be underwhelmed, I guess, after all that setup. I think it's really funny. This had nothing to do with sermon. I walked up here this morning. I have to show you my Bible right here. Our, uh, our husky decided a few days ago, after preaching from this Bible for like 30 years, just duct taped together, and, and he decided to chew on my Bible. There's so many jokes in there, isn't there? Like, that's loaded. Uh, I don't even know where to go with that. But uh, there, I, my wife said, well, are we going to get you a new one? I'm like, I've been using this for 30 years. You know, it's like, so you know, remember that old uh, Disney movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven? I don't think this one, uh, this, this dog's going with where all the cats go, is where uh, is, I'm saying it's... Um, is uh, where we're going with that. All right. Well, uh, it's so good to be here with you this morning. Waypoint, uh, he did a good job introducing Waypoint exists to uh, catalyze kingdom growth. We've been doing that for 85 years, and we do that in uh, two ways, that we plant new churches and we partner with established churches to get on mission and stay on mission. Uh, that's, that's what we do, those two things all in and around the region. And uh, we do that um, because what we envision is an ever-increasing number of thriving churches and leaders in our region. And so when we talk about that, uh, our region, as he described, is the Mid-Atlantic region, Maryland, Virginia, North and South Carolina. And, uh, and so the reason we do all that is, is three simple things. Number one is because we love the church. It's the bride of Christ. And if you don't love the bride, you have a hard time loving the bridegroom, right? And so we love the church, the bride of Christ, and we love lost people who were the object of the Great Commission in the first place, and also because we love our family of churches 
which is called the Restoration Movement, that we're a family of churches all across the United States. In our region, the Mid-Atlantic region, you may not know this, but there's 505 sister, 504 sister churches to this one all around the region. You all would make 505 uh, from Virginia down to South Carolina. And so that's the ministry of Waypoint is we get to start new churches, a couple, two, three every year, and then serve established churches with strategic services to help them get on mission and stay on mission. And so uh, we're going to talk about that first part, the, the church planting, the why of church planting. Uh, we, I think we've got a map here of the churches that we've planted just since 1990. There's been, we've been part of, we've, uh, we've planted across this region two of the dots on that map. We've done 55 projects since 1990. Uh, my family got to be a part of, we moved to Virginia 26 years ago uh, from the great state of Michigan and uh, to plant uh, another Michigander, all right, so, uh, so to plant a church at Virginia Beach, and I happened to speak in this building 26 years ago, raising money to plant the church down there, and so the, the church that used to be in this building, former, formerly known as Calvary Church of Burke, helped start that church in Virginia Beach that we planted personally, so thank you very much. For, none of you were here then, I'm sure. Maybe you, I don't know how long you've been here. Nobody was here back then, which I was driving up wondering, I think I might be preaching a sermon from like 26 years ago. <laughs> Hopefully nobody's here that heard that, that message. So, uh, so, uh, so thank you for helping me start that church and another one in Richmond. But in the last 85 years, Waypoint has started 154 churches in our region. And so that's not nearly enough, but it's enough that we're starting to figure out what we might be doing right, what we might be doing wrong. And we're really excited that we're going to be partnering together to plant a church with the Foundry and several other churches here in the region to plant one in the DMV. I lived here in, in high school. My dad was stationed at Andrews. Actually, Memorial Day weekend is important for me. My dad's buried at Arlington. Uh, and uh, so uh, we didn't call it the DMV back then. That's the kind of a new thing that I've had to learn how to figure out. So uh, I always thought that's where you go get your driver's license, you know? And so in the DMV, we're gonna plant another church and we're pretty excited about that. And so I wanna talk about why in the world we would wanna plant another church in the DMV or anywhere. Uh, and in my role with uh, Waypoint, Oh, let me, I missed a couple slides. Let me tell you about a couple churches that uh, we've helped with and you've helped with by your support of Waypoint just in the last couple of years. Give me the next picture there so I know who you're talking about. So a Mosaic Church in Frederick, Maryland was started right before COVID and, uh, and you all helped us plant that by your support. And uh, they're doing great. Uh, got in a, uh, into a commercial space here just a little over a year ago and running uh, the top 500 last week. Uh, for the first time on a normal Sunday. And so uh, that, and uh, they're, they're doing great. Just had a meeting with them this week and they've already celebrated 22 baptisms this year, uh, not even halfway into the year. So they're really kicking it there. Another church that just got started just a year ago is called the Journey Church in Virginia Beach. And it's interesting, I say this one, our church has started in all kinds of places, in uh, schools, YMCAs, bars, uh, bowling alleys, fire stations, but this one started in a roller skating rink of all places, and uh, which makes me think back to junior high days, but this roller skating rink actually is clean and, and doesn't smell weird because uh, it was open during COVID, so it's kind of like this high-tech roller skating rink, and we've got a church that started in there as well. But what we're more excited about when we plant churches is not just that we're starting new churches, but that we're starting new churches that reach new people, and Andrew uh, uh, kind of alluded to that that it's, it's people making decisions for Christ that's more important to us than anything else. And so one metric for that is the number of baptisms we're seeing in our church plants, that we're not just shifting the sheep or, or shuffling the saints, if you know what I mean. And so, uh, so last year, the church plants that were on that map, just the ones since 1990, 
celebrated more, more than 460 baptisms. That's like nine a week, every Sunday. And uh, that's uh, been increasing the last couple of years since we came out of COVID. Uh, pre, prior to COVID, it was more like in the six and 700. So we're getting back to that number and increasing every year. And so that's, that's a big value of ours is that we're reaching new churches that reach new people. So I wanna thank you for partnering with, with us about that. All right, now I think I can get into the message about why. Why would we start new churches? Because I get to talk all the time on, in Bible colleges and other conferences and conventions about church planting. And when I do that, I think we have to address what is a very legitimate question that anybody should ask about church planting is why would we plant another church when we've got 350,000 churches in America, right? I mean, don't we have enough churches already? And I think that's a legitimate question. Why in the world will we start new churches? And so I wanna address the why today. And I would love to uh, talk about all the statistics. I was actually a math major, uh, ministry and math major. Those never go together, but I was a ministry and math major and taught high school math for a few years. So I love numbers. Do we have anybody else in the room that loves numbers? One, usually they don't raise their hand proudly. It's kind of like secretly like, like this, but there, you know, there's support groups for people like us. And uh, so I would love to talk for an hour about all the compelling uh, statistical reasons that would demonstrate the urgency for which we would, should be planting more and more churches, radical expansion. Uh, but I'm not gonna do that because this is Sunday and you know uh, we should take a Sabbath from math probably on Sundays, right? And uh, at least all the non-math people think we should avoid math on Sundays. And so, uh, but let me tell you one statistic and then we'll move on to the, actually to the Bible in, instead. But here's one statistic that I think describes it fairly well if you understand what it's saying. So the first statistic, the only statistic I wanna say is this. If this generation follows suit, like the last three or four generations, statistically speaking, half of all people attending church in America are gonna be attending church less than 30 years old, 30 years from now. Does that make any sense? You gotta think about that for a second. 30 years from now, if this generation follows suit, half the people attending a church are gonna be in a church that's less than 30 years old. We could kind of flip that around and say it another way, is last, this Sunday is a holiday Sunday, so we don't know how the numbers work out, but last Sunday in America, half the people attending a church in America were in a church that was more than 30 years old and half were in a church that was less than 30 years old. Does that make any sense? The median age of a church attendance for the last three or four generations has landed right around 30 years as where half of the church attendance was in the country. Does that make any sense? So here's the point that I would say about that and then we'll move on. 30 years from now, if this generation follows suit, half the people attending church in America are gonna be in a church that we have not yet started. Think about that. If this generation follows suit, like the last three or four generations, half the people attending a church are gonna be a church that we have not yet even started. That's powerful, isn't it? And so if we don't keep planting churches, we're gonna lose a whole generation for Christ and cripple the church for generations to come. So that's my one statistic about planting churches. Hopefully uh, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't turn you off too much. And so we're gonna, rather than talk about all the statistical reasons, I wanna talk about the biblical reason why we should plant churches. But at the end of this, I've got a very personal application for everybody seated in this room. Because you think, well, this isn't for me because you're already in a church, right? So I've got a very specific personal application for you at the end. So hang on and pay attention. So I'm gonna talk about church planting. And if you've been around church for very long at all, uh, you would think that if I'm gonna talk on this topic that I would start in one of two places in the Bible. 
Either of them would be in the New Testament. One would either be uh, the great commission that Jesus gave right before he ascended up into heaven and he gave the, the kind of the marching orders to, to his disciples. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go there this morning. And uh, if I didn't go there, I'd probably go to the day of Pentecost. This happens to be Pentecost Sunday, if you keep track of those kind of things, uh, 50 days after Easter. And uh, so, um, so you think I'd go to the, the, the second chapter of Acts and the day of Pentecost, and that's the, when the church was launched. I'm not gonna go there either. So I wanna talk about, biblically speaking, why we should plant churches, not even from the New Testament, I wanna do it from the Old Testament to talk about the, the reason why. And of all the places in the Old Testament that I wanna look at this morning, I wanna look at the very first page of the Old Testament from the account of creation. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, which many of you do, or your digital version, you might wanna go turn to uh, the, the verse, very first page, Genesis chapter one, the account of creation. But before we do that, there's an important hermeneutical principle that we have to understand before we get into this. And that word hermeneutical, that's a big word. It's a big churchy word, isn't it? Do you know what that word means? Hermeneutics is the study, it's a churchy word. It's the study of interpreting scripture, all the proper rules for properly interpreting and teaching scripture. That there's some ground rules on how you're supposed to do that properly. And you've probably heard a preacher on TV or in a podcast and you think to yourself, how in the world did he come up with that? And it's probably because he wasn't using the proper rules of hermeneutics as he tried to interpret and teach scripture. It'd be very good for any church to look back at their preacher's transcripts from college, like Andrew, where'd he go? Andrew, his transcripts from Kentucky Christian University to see how he did of all the classes he took Hermeneutics should be the one he should get a good grade in, right? Because it teaches you how to properly interpret and teach scripture. And when you take hermeneutics in Bible college, uh, one of the lessons that you're gonna learn is the, the principle of emphasis. That, um, that, it, that if you understand the, the Bible, that it was written in primarily two languages, all right? The Old Testament was written primarily in the language of Hebrew, and the New Testament was written primarily in Greek with a little bit of Aramaic thrown in. But regardless, if you understand this, both of those languages have almost no punctuation. Did you know that? Neither Hebrew nor Greek, they have no punctuation. And so can you imagine what it would be like to try and emphasize anything without punctuation? There's no way you can hit control B and make it bold or control U and underline it. There's no exclamation points in Greek or, or, uh, or Hebrew. So how do you emphasize anything and if it was your job to tell God's story to mankind, how would you emphasize anything without the use of punctuation? Well, what you discover in hermeneutics that emphasis was primarily accomplished through strategic repetition. That two or three words repeated strategically near each other had the effect of cluing off the hearer or the reader that something important was about to be said. So pay attention. Does that make any sense? And we would understand how this would work even in modern times. Uh, the, you know, the summertime is about to hit and many of us are gonna be taking uh, vacations over the summer. And so you get to the family in the minivan and you head off to the Midwest back where you came from for the long trip. And how long does it take with the kids in the back seat before one of them says, daddy, I gotta go, right? How long does that take? 45 minutes, if you're lucky, you know? And so being any warm-blooded American dad do you stop immediately? 
No way, right? You're gonna, pull, you're gonna stretch this out as long as you can. So you wait another 20, 30 minutes, however long you can. And then you're gonna hear this voice coming over the backseat of the car, Daddy, I really, really gotta go. And it's by that use of strategic repetition, I really, really gotta go, that you understand that the next statement is gonna be in liquid form, right? <laughs> right? And that's the way that works. We understand how this works. And so in scripture, we see that over and over again, strategic repetition was used to clue the hearer or the reader off that something really important was about to be said. For example, in the New Testament, there's this odd phrase that Jesus would use just before he was about to say something important. He would say, truly, truly, I say to you. I grew up in when the King James Version, it was verily, verily, I say to you. And uh, so, uh, so he would say this, and more than 60 times in the gospel records do we have Jesus saying truly, true. And isn't that an odd thing to, wait to start a sentence? We don't say that in modern times, do we? Going out to, to, the gro- to your wife and say, truly, truly, I'm going to the grocery store. You know, you, st- you don't say it that way, right? But Jesus was using strategic repetition as a way to clue his hearers off to the fact that he was about to say something really important. The first example of that is in John chapter three when Jesus is meeting secretly at night with this Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. That's kind of important, isn't it? This is the first time that the the term born again is ever used. Jesus coined the phrase to be born again. And he says, you can't get to heaven unless you're born again. That's kind of important, isn't it? And so Jesus started off by kind of figuratively grabbing Nicodemus by the shoulders and saying, pay attention, I'm going to say something really important. And so over and over again throughout Scripture, we see this use of strategic repetition, this hermeneutical principle to clue us off to the fact that something, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but your sister's worried about the right thing. Or Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm going to make you my witness to the world. There's all these, all these times. And so it's with that hermeneutical principle in mind that I want to jump back to Genesis chapter 1 and look at this odd word or phrase that's repeated not twice or three times or four times, but seven times in the space of 10 verses in the account of creation that I think really is telling us that God's trying to tell us something really important if he's gonna say it seven times in 10 verses. And it addresses this idea about, somehow it addresses this idea about why I believe we should be starting more and more churches all the time, investing our time and energy and resources and focus on radical expansion. And so we're gonna look at the account of creation. And so I've got a picture of the account of creation here. uh, And we're gonna be looking at days three, five, and six of the account of creation. Those are the days that living things were created. Days one, two, and four, they are more inanimate objects, but we're gonna be looking specifically at at days three, five, and six. But before I jump into that, I just wanna make a note of one thing. If you happen to to benefit from growing up in the church like I did, uh, you were taught in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or in some kind of venue that uh, when when God created the heavens and the earth, every day he would create something that's in one of these pictures and then he would take a step back and look at what he'd created and he would, he would say, behold, that is good, right? And, uh, and that word good is a powerful word. It's the Hebrew word tov, T-O-V. And it means it's good, it's right, it's perfect, it's exactly what I wanted. And so we learned growing up, or I did growing up, that every day at the end of creation, each day God would take a step back and say, behold, that is good. That's tov. But believe it or not, it's not in there for one of the the days. 
If you go back and read the account of creation, it is not in there for the second day of creation. And so if you understand the timing of all this, Sunday would be the first day of the week, Monday would be second day of the week, Tuesday, third day of the week, and so on. Do you understand what it means theologically that God did not say it was good for the second day of creation? God hates Mondays too. All right, that's, that's, I think that's what it means. If you go back, go back and read it, it is not in there. And so when you wake up next Monday morning, not tomorrow, but next week, say, God, I don't want to go to work. He goes, I know. Uh, so, um, so go ahead and read it. That's just an aside. It's not in there. All right. So with that, uh, with that in mind, uh, I got to figure out where in the world I am. I got all that little... Let's read the biblical description of these three specific days of creation and notice a word or phrase that's repeated... Uh, seven times. And if you don't catch it the first one, you'll, you'll see it. So we're going to start on day three, which is in verse 11 of Genesis chapter one. The Bible records, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Tov. You see the repeated word or phrase? If you don't catch it, you'll catch on as we move forward. If we go down to uh, day four, uh, day f- which day am I on? Day five now in verse 21. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. All right, starting to figure out what it is now, aren't you? All right, you'll, you'll, if you haven't got it yet, Take a look at day six, verse 25, the Bible records. So God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Have you figured out what this odd phrase is? It's, it's, getting, it's in there so many times, it's kind of awkward now, isn't it? It's this word or phrase, according to their kind or after their kind. And in English, it's a whole phrase, but in the, the Hebrew language, it's actually just one word. It's this word lamino. That's what it means. By the creative design of God, every living thing reproduces itself after its kind. Lamino. That's what the Hebrew word is. It's just one word. It's the restriction that God put on creation. And isn't that fascinating that God decided to create this restriction that every living thing would have to reproduce itself after its kind? And you think about it, that's kind of interesting. And then you think for about 30 seconds ago, well, no, duh, that's the way life is, right? <laughs> that things reproduce themselves. But could you imagine what life would be like if God had not put this restriction on creation, that things didn't have to reproduce themselves? What a bizarre world that would be. For example, your family's got a pet dog, all right? And she gets pregnant and uh, you can tell that it's about time for her to give birth to her litter, uh, her litter. And so you make a little comfortable spot out on the deck one night and she stays out there, you all go to bed. And then the next morning you get up and you look out there and sure enough, your, your pet dog has given birth to a whole litter of chickens. That's not gonna happen, is it? That would be awesome if that would happen, but it's not gonna happen. You wanna know why that's not gonna happen? Lamino, right? Because by the creative design of God, every living thing reproduces itself after its kind, according to its kind, that's lamino. Or another example, my wife just uh, over the last month has planted this big old garden out in the country where we live. And, um, 
And uh, one of the things that we planted was pumpkins. I don't know if you've ever planted pumpkins, but they can, can just kind of take over. So you kind of have to put them in the back because they've got these leaves that'll get this big. And it, pumpkins are incredible because when, right before the pumpkins are on, the, the blooms for pumpkins are these big yellow flowers. They're beautiful. And so you, one night you, before you go to bed, you look out at the garden and there's all these yellow flowers on your pumpkin plants and you know that the pumpkins are gonna come on. And so the next morning you get up and you look along the fence row back there and you notice that right where every flower was, now there is a, a, a brand new beaver. That's not gonna happen, is it? That would be awesome if that would happen. But it's not gonna happen, right? Why? Lamino, right? Because by the creative design of God, every living thing has to reproduce after its kind. And uh, so uh, God is driving a message home to us in this account of creation uh, by repeating over and over again that things have to reproduce after its kind. And so um, by this point, hopefully you're thinking, what in the world is his point from Genesis chapter? Here's my point. The church is a living thing, isn't it? The church is a living thing. Over and over again, the Bible ascribes to the church anthropomorphic qualities, human-like qualities. Actually, in English, the two most predominant words used for the church happen to begin with the letter B in English. Do you know what they are? That the church is described as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, right? The church is a living thing. The Bible says that a church can be born, it can die, it can grieve, it can lose its first love, it can be rich or poor. The church is a living thing. It can repent, a church can repent. A church is a living thing. So here's my question. If lamino applies to all living things reproducing themselves, does that apply to the church? Of course it does. That churches need to make churches that living things reproduce themselves. It's from the very beginning of creation, God put that restriction on created things. And he created the church. And the church needs to reproduce itself. And so that's why I'm excited that we're gonna be partnering together to plant a church together because that's what your church should be doing over and over and over again. One of the other churches that's partnered with us, New Life Christian Church, which is which is like a real sister church. If you know the story that we've got 505 sister churches here in the region, but both this church and New Life were kind of planted out of what's now the journey in Springfield. And so you guys are like real sister churches. They're 30 years old this year. They were one of the dots on that map. In their 30 years, they have helped to start more than 300 churches around the country. That they have taken seriously the principle of Lamino, that churches reproduce themselves over and over and over again, it's what living things do. All right, let's talk about the personal application now. Churches should make churches, but I don't think churches should make disciples. I think disciples should make disciples, right? And I, I think I got that wrong when I was growing up because I thought it was the church's job to make disciples that I thought it was my job as a follower of Jesus to bring my friend to church and have him sit in a chair for an hour and I had done my job because it was the church's job to make disciples. But I didn't understand the principle of Lomino, did I? Because everything, living thing reproduces itself. And so I believe that churches make churches, but it's disciples that make disciples. 
So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, we could go back to, for example, the Great Commission that I didn't use as my primary text today. Uh, but in the Great Commission, Jesus got his followers just before he got up into heaven, and he commissioned them. He gave them a mission to accomplish, to work with him on co-mission. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament after uh, John 3.16, probably. Did you ever think about to whom Jesus was speaking when he gave the Great Commission? Exactly to whom he was speaking? Well, we know, we know exactly to whom he was speaking. If you back up three verses to verse 16, the Bible records, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, and he gave them the Great Commission. And so the, he, the 11 disciples, he told them to go and make what? Disciples. Je, Jesus told his disciples to make disciples. That's lamino, isn't it? And this should really be no surprise to us because actually Jesus, if you think about it, Jesus invented lamino in the first place. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was at creation. We think of Jesus as the New Testament part of God. Jesus was there from the very beginning. Actually, the Bible teaches us in the book of Colossians that all things were created by him, Jesus, and for him, and through him, all things hold together. Jesus was present at creation and he invented lamino. So it should be no surprise to us that he says, disciples make disciples. Churches make churches. Disciples make disciples. So what's that look like? Preachers get up all the time and say, yeah, I'll be sharing your faith. I'll be making disciples. What's that look like for us to be making disciples? Because that seems like really scary stuff, doesn't it? Let me give you a real simple example that is gonna be my application for today. It's a physical example. I'd like you to take your hands out right here. Put them like this, go like this, and go like this. This is making disciples. And what do I mean by that? It's one person rubbing shoulders with another person in such a way that their faith is passed along to the other person. Does that make sense? It's not something you have to learn in Bible college. It's not something you gotta go away to a conference. It's, it's one person rubbing shoulders with another person in such a way intentionally that their faith is passed along. So what's this look like for you? That's, that's what a disciple making a disciple looks like. So it's, it's a person that you've got somebody in your life, whether it is a friend, a coworker, a neighbor across the street or next door, that, that, that coworker that you're in a cube with uh, you know, for 40 hours a week, whether you like it or not. Uh, you've got a friend that's new in town or one that you've had since childhood, a classmate, a family member, a child, a grandchild. It's somebody strategically, strategically in your life that you rub shoulders with them and you talk to them out loud about the spiritual decisions that you make in your life. So you, you tell someone, yeah, this, this chewed up Bible, it's hard to understand, but, but I try and use it as the guide for my life because I believe in what it says. That took five seconds, right? But you just say, this is a weird book. If you're trying to read it, it's, it's oddly organized. But I've decided this is gonna be for the guide for my life. That's this right here, isn't it? It's when you say out loud, yeah, this is the way that my family organizes our finances so that it's got a, something bigger than just our family. It's, it's about what God's doing in the world. 
It takes five seconds, but you say out loud, this is the way that I live my life so that someone else can see the way that I live a life of faith. It's about, as a parent, you say out loud to your coworker or your friends or your neighbors, you know, we made this decision about raising our kids. And in this day and age, that might sound kind of crazy or countercultural, but we're trying to teach our kids how to live God's way. That's this right here, isn't it? Rub his shoulders with someone in such a way that your faith is passed along to them. It's about saying out loud to your friends, man, my wife and I, we're not perfect people and we figure that out every day. But we're committed to each other because we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. And so we're together just like this until we die. And you say that out loud so that the person you're talking to gets, sees what it looks like to live a life of faith, to be a person who follows God. Discipleship, so, so my question is, disciple, does, does this apply for you? I forgot to ask this early on, so I'm going to go back. There's a discipleship test we can, we can have. You ready for this? I'm in a minute, I'm going to ask you to breathe in and hold your, hold your breath and then breathe out. Are you ready for that? Okay, ready? One, two, three. Breathe in and breathe out. If you just breathe in and breathe out and you're a disciple of Jesus, lamento applies to you. All right, because every living thing reproduces. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're living, does lamento apply for you? Of course it does. That there's somebody in your life. And so how are you gonna do this? So I wanna give you a challenge as I'm finishing up today to practice this little exercise to remind yourself that there's somebody in your life that you must be rubbing shoulders with to pass your faith along to them. And so maybe it is at while you're, not while you're driving, while you're in your car, but you're at one of those stoplights that here in Northern Virginia last 27 minutes, all right? So while you're sitting there, would you go like this and think about who is it in my life am I passing my faith along to? That I'm intentionally sharing with them how I struggle to live my life of faith in such a way that they can see what a real person looks like when they do that. Or maybe you're on a Zoom call, your eighth one of the day. And so they can't see your hands underneath the desk when you're doing, so if you would go like this, and as that person is blathering on on the screen like that, you're thinking, who is it in my life that I need to be sharing my faith with? Or maybe it's next week when Andrew's teaching and he's getting a little slow or dry, not that that ever happens, but you think, you know what? There's somebody in my life that I need to be, to be sharing my faith, inviting him to come in here, not just for the church to make a disciple, but I'm gonna bring him to this church to be part of this community of faith. Who is it? Maybe it's next week or every week as you take communion and you sit here and you thank Jesus for what he did for your life. You're thinking, who in my life am I strategically positioned with that I could rub shoulders with them in such a way that they could have the joy of salvation like I have? So as you take communion, if you would rub your hands together and think, who is it in my life? Who is it for you? It's not a rhetorical question. That's a real question. Who's the one for you today? I'm gonna pray here in just a moment, and I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit would be convicting you with the image of a person in your life that is the person that you should be sharing your faith with, rubbing shoulders with strategically in such a way that they start figuring out, oh, that's what it looks like to try and follow Jesus. Who is it for you? And if you're in this room today or watching online and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, Lamento does not yet apply to you, but you need to know that there's all kinds of people in this church that would love to rub shoulders with you 
and show you and teach you what it looks like to try and live a life that honors Jesus 